and welcome to Mop Bites, episode 126. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, a serious case of nocturnal foraging with Secret Squirrel, while monitoring multiplying velops. But first, let's talk about the new normal. What's the most overused phrase of the last few weeks? All together now? The, the new, new normal. normal. The Apple stores closed down even before lockdown. Did you notice that, Mike? I did. Case of Apple leading the way. Uh, Boris locked down everything else before he confused the heck out of everything. And now we have no clue what we're supposed to do. Or indeed, what we're not supposed to do. Is that where you're at? That's exactly where I'm at. And Apple, for its part, what did they tell the Wall Street Journal, Mike? They said... Face ID is designed to work with your eyes, nose and mouth visible. An Apple spokesman said in a statement, users can still unlock their devices whilst wearing a mask by entering their passcode. Thus rendering the whole Face ID thing useless. Did you know... This is for you, Mike. Did you know they rolled out an update to make it faster to get to the code entry page? Thus, rolling us back about six years. I may have seen something, but I don't know the details. Well, you know when you do your face ID thing and it doesn't work? That happens to me more on my iPad because I've got my finger. You know when you hold it in landscape, I've got my finger over the camera. There should be two cameras just saying Apple, think about it, obviously. <clears throat> Cost more. But there again, you love putting the price up, so never mind. Uh, so when that happens, it says, like, you know, try again and try again and try again. And eventually it puts up the pad and you can put your number in. I know that one very well. <laughs> Apple's genius idea has been, we won't actually fix the face ID thing. We'll just get you to that screen faster. Hmm. Do you know, I said they should have kept the alternative of Touch ID. In fact, when the f first phone came out, was it the iPhone 10 that had just Face ID? I wouldn't buy it because I thought I liked the, the Touch ID so much. I thought it was a given that it would have both. I was amazed to discover it wasn't even going to be an option. Um, when the OnePlus added Face ID, do you remember the one we looked at? Yeah. Well, we tried to. We went in a store and they'd never heard of it. Do you remember? Yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> but we tried. Um, they added the Face ID thing and the whole screen became a Touch ID. But, hang on, we're all wearing gloves. Mm. Irish recognition. That's what we need. Well, until we all start wearing goggles, obviously. <laughs> Can your phone just not know it's you? You know, some kind of like biorhythmic something or other. Can it not just know? That would be good. Because when I look at my phones, I, I know which is mine and which is yours. Obviously, you're more hazy on that because you took my phone out to a meeting one night. <laughs> I was just going to sort of, I was just going to say that, yes. With his own, I might add. So he pulls it out of his pocket in the car on the way to the meeting. and, and I wasn't driving, I, I must hasten to add. No, no, you weren't. You were a passenger. But you pulled it out and you looked at it. And when the face ID didn't work, you went, you uttered a bad word, didn't you? I, I said a swear word. <laughs> you did. You pulled your own fo phone out of the other pocket and you texted me, didn't you, to say, sorry, I've taken your phone. Now, all just sit down and have a think about that. The phone in his other hand that was mine obviously received the text and pinged away quite happily. But so did my iPad. And I let you off, didn't I? You did. You were a lucky boy. <laughs> but you couldn't get in it 
unless you'd mapped a fingerprint uh, or you knew the code. Hmm. Do you remember when Touch ID first came in and people were trying it on their nipples? I remember that well, but not as tried it, I hasten to add. Somebody's just spat their dinner all over the place, haven't they, or their lunch? <laughs> no, if you're new to the show, I'm not winding you up. They really did. We'll be back to that before long, you know. Because, to be honest, that part of your natural is more likely to be exposed than your face. Just say it. Nipplegate. Nipplegate. Hmm. Maybe they'll find another way for it to work. Doubtless something even worse. Watch this space. But you've never had much luck with Face ID anyway, have you, Mike? It works when it feels like it. But I, I tell you, it never works for me when I'm in bed with, with the lights turned off. <laughs> there are people thinking, well, duh. <laughs> And also, no, no, seriously, I thought it worked for you when the lights are turned off. I'll talk about that when you've said about your sleep mode business. Yeah, when the, when the phone's in sleep mode, at least with Touch ID, I can just touch the home button to unlock it. But with Face ID, not only do I have to touch the screen to wake the phone up and swipe up, I've got to make sure that I'm looking at the phone. Otherwise, the Face ID doesn't work. And that is a real pain. Well, as I say, I was no fan of the, even the idea of it, much less actually using it. But I've been surprised at how good Face ID is, even in difficult conditions like pitch black in bed at night. It does. It works. Um, even at a strange angle, because the one thing that does annoy me is, you know, when you've got your phone like on the table to the side of you. I was so used to reaching out and just putting my finger on it to wake it up, to open a particular app and not actually look at it straight on. Uh, that's the only scenario it doesn't work. But even at strange angles, with my glasses on, without my glasses, even with my glasses pushed up into my hair, maybe you need to do another recognition scan or two. I think you're right. Do you think it's the hair? No, it was doing it before the hair. <laughs> He's got lockdown hair, haven't you? I've got lockdown hair. So have I. I've got a lockdown fringe down to my nose. <laughs> But yours kind of grows out, doesn't it? Not down. Can we get back to talking about phones? Oh, you've got lovely curly hair. You know you have. Oh, thank mm, you. Anyway, uh, what else has changed? Uh, oh, yes. The new normal would appear to be a MacBytes every day. Ooh. There are MacBiters amazed across the globe with that. There are crew members amazed across the globe with that. <laughs> But um, the Apple stores being closed haven't dissuaded Apple in any way, shape or form from releasing new products. More than usual, to be honest, but more on that later. The real star of the new normal has been the increased opportunity for shopping with Elaine moments. So many incidents to choose from. It's difficult to pick the most hair raising. Shall we start with the first time I realised I could succeed where you were failing? Should we start with that one? Let's start with that one. Mike was playing an interminable game of slot roulette with both Asda and Tesco. Toilet rolls were running low. The only person in the house with food was the lovely Lola and her good fortune wasn't down to us. It was the fabulous Nina. Um, Nina's a good friend of ours who managed to secure some tins of dog food. Uh, on one of her food forages, uh, she was going out shopping for her mum, who's shielding. So Lola was fine. It was us pondering if grass cuttings were a viable alternative to kale, which I think possibly they are, you know. But then that would mean cutting the grass, wouldn't it? Mm, it's all work here. Anyway, I inadvertently stumbled over the fact that Morrison's, a UK supermarket, were providing a range of delivery slots via Amazon Prime. Now, 
I'm a whiz with Amazon Prime, aren't I, Mike? You are a whiz with Amazon Prime. Just ask Amazon. I haven't paid for Amazon Prime for over four years. Every time there's even a minor hiccup, I am all over it, resulting in a free month of Prime. Uh, I think I'm covered past retirement now, but I digress. I discovered you did the shopping thing like a standard Amazon order, adding items in the basket and then tried to book a delivery slot. The opposite of your situation with Asda and Tesco, where you needed to secure the slot first. Hence, the game of slot roulette you were playing. So there I was having a ball, adding anything I fancied to the basket. So much more satisfying than actually wasting my time in a shop and doing it personally. Uh, the only issue was securing the delivery slot. By trial and error, I figured out how it all worked. The new slots were released at midnight on the dot. So with a basket full of stuff, I headed off to the checkout to secure my delivery. Now, that's not actually as easy as it sounds, because as soon as you try and check out, they have to check if every item in the basket is in stock. And the odds are that at least one won't be, at which point they take you to a totally separate page to display a list of the items they haven't got just to warn you. Trouble is, by the time you've acknowledged all of that and clicked continue, all the slots have gone. Foiled. I did not make the same mistake the next time. I did a checkout thing one minute before midnight. It checked all the items and, as expected, displayed this list of what was out of stock. But once I'd reached the checkout page, I then went back to the basket because there were still no slots available at that point. I waited for midnight to roll around. The trouble was I was in the middle of a live show at the time. But no worries, because once I'd explained everything to everybody watching live, they were with me. And by sheer force of will, I think it was by sheer force of will, we secured a delivery slot, whooping and hollering all round. The best news? The slot was for the next day. Now, when on the odd occasion Mike secures a slot, it's usually three, four weeks away, isn't it? It is, yeah. So, result for me. Result indeed. Now, a few interesting and comical hiccups along the way. Oh, absolutely. First of all, there was Chocolate Gate. I'd ordered three bars of white chocolate for you, hadn't I? Exactly. This was after we were assured that white chocolate isn't really chocolate. Hence, you can eat it with impunity, apparently. But at the point of packing, my personal shopper... I've got a personal shopper! Well, she sent me a text saying that they weren't available and would we like dark chocolate instead? Short answer to that was no. So I pinged her back and said no. When the order arrived, you made a discovery. Yep, I shouted up to you asking you if you'd ordered three bars of dark chocolate. Not a chance. No, I hadn't. Which didn't stop them sending said three bars of dark chocolate in the order. No, but at least they didn't charge us for the privilege. <laughs> Although what you are supposed to do with that inedible stuff, I have no idea. Shall I tell you? Go on. I've eaten it. <sighs> no accounting for taste. All three bars. Oh, dark chocolate's vile. It's so bitter. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, anyway, the next one was Timegate. Mm. There I was, DJing a five-hour music show on Brooklyn's 196. It was fast approaching midnight and I needed to attempt to secure a delivery slot. What to do? Well, there was only one thing for it, wasn't there? Play Freebird by Leonard Skinner. It's nine minutes long and covers a multitude of activities, <laughs> including bathroom breaks and grocery slot acquisition. Anyway, 
I got Freebird on and I waited, poised over the keyboard. Midnight came around. I hit the checkout button. Good news got a slot. Bad news. I checked the time and it was 9am to 10, no, 9am to 11am, they're two hour slots, on Sunday morning. Mm. But did I mention this five hour music show? I wouldn't be getting to bed before 2am. So that was a bit of an issue. But Mike said he'd take one for the team and he would get up early, which would have been fine if the order had actually arrived between 9am and 11am. But it didn't. Hmm. On checking the confirmation, it wasn't 9am to 11am, it was 9pm to 11pm. I am not amused. No. You owe me for that one. Yes, dear. Sorry, dear. I swear at the point of checkout it said AM, but it was in the middle of a five-hour show and maybe my eyes aren't what they were. Uh, Anyway, then, in true Sherlock Holmes style, there was the sign of three. Although with Sherlock Holmes, it was four, but never mind. Clearly, things weren't limited in his day. The maximum number of anything seems to be three. So whenever I add anything to the basket, the quantity is three. With one exception, I found a treat for myself. Hey, I'd been in lockdown a while. Uh, This treat is usually £2.50. But currently, it's £4, which was absolutely outrageous. But I did the mental calculation in my head, you know, the bit about getting the car out and trying to get it started and putting petrol in it and all the rest of it and decided, do you know what, I'll, I'll just I'll just have one. So I decided I deserved that treat and I indulgently popped one in the basket. Notice that one, one in the basket. The delivery arrived. Mike was hunting for two missing packets of dog treats. No, they weren't what I'd bought. When he shouted up the stairs, he thought I'd treated myself to a single treat, not three treats. I was self-righteously indignant. I insisted he check the order. I had ordered one. They had sent three. Results. Didn't charge me for the other two either. <laughs> I quite get into the shopping thing, aren't I? You are. Uh, but yeah, the problem was that was the same order that resulted in fat free gate. Um, as Mike was still foraging for the dog treats, he stumbled across a pot of fat free yoghurt. Vanilla yoghurt. Again, the cry came up the stairs. Did you buy a vanilla fat-free yoghurt? Seriously, Mike, after 28 years together, you should know I don't touch fat-free stuff riddled with chemicals. Anyway, we have no idea who's missing one fat-free yoghurt. But in these rather strange times, Morrison's didn't want it back either. I think I get into marginally less trouble with tech purchases. Uh, The online ordering thing is becoming well known, though, because we've done it multiple times, haven't we? (laughs) We've done it in our after hours shows, uh, which is on a Friday night. We've done it in the music show, which is on Brooklyn's 196. It's called By Request. So much so is it well known. It was even discussed in one of your meetings, wasn't it? It was. I was just thinking about it. Yes, it was. Somebody was talking at the radio show and said uh, they even have a break for ordering the shopping at midnight. (laughs) And we did a show last night because we're recording this on Sunday. Uh, It'll be out with you on Monday. But uh, on Saturday, um, we we were doing this music show and we actually got in our chat um, that was people chat with us and then put requests in for music that we play. Um, What time's the shopping coming? (laughs) I mean, seriously. 
honestly, this is what entertainment's come down to. What time's your shopping order coming? But you didn't, did you? I already had everything in the basket. No, no, I'm saying it a delivery. It wasn't being delivered on Saturday. It was being delivered today. Oh, the delivery. Yep. No, the delivery is today. The delivery is today and we don't have an audience for it. Should we do a live delivery? No. Oh, oh, we could stream it to YouTube live. <laughs> hey, the times are desperate. People would watch that. I'm telling you, that's entertainment these days. Yeah, and I can, I can stand at the bottom of the stairs and say, did you order this? That would work. <laughs> Actually, no, that, that could be like the old gag in The Chemist, couldn't it? No, we'll leave that. Walk away, Mike. Leave it. Leave it. <laughs> Unless it's dark chocolate or uh, fat-free yoghurt, which obviously I would never touch either. Uh, now, uh, I said we'd talk about more Apple Kit. This is fast becoming the new normal. Another day in lockdown, another hardware release from Apple. It's almost as if they enjoy the no event release thing. Mm. This time, 13-inch MacBook Pro. Great update. Still exorbitantly priced, though. Did you do the um, let's spec it up and frighten ourselves with the price manoeuvre, Mike? I think I did. I think I did, yeah. I, I did. can't remember what I got it to. But I had, I had a business discount on mine, and it was still eye-watering. £2,666. And you know what? The 666 scared me as well. But we do know at least one MacBiter who was seduced by the shiny... Upside of that is, we've approved the purchase on the proviso that there will be an unboxing video winging its way to us ASAP on arrival. Um, seriously, though, there's a good chance if I was in the market for a MacBook Pro, I might go for that one rather than the 16-inch, which, much as I love my 17-inch, I've got memories of how heavy it was. So I think it's a little bit too big to be truly comfortably portable. And I still have an old 13-inch MacBook Pro from 2009, working perfectly, providing life support for my Fujitsu scanner. Um, if I had that, if I had a need for that kind of power away from the desk, I would probably be tempted. But since I'm going nowhere anytime soon, I'm going to leave it this time round. How about you? Well, my need for the full version of Excel overrides the temptation of shiny. Let's put it that way. Not even if you could run your parallels and, and do it that way. No, not even if I could do that. Mm. I just wish the new model could be upgraded as easily as the 2009 version. Um, it's still going strong because I've upgraded the RAM. I put a bigger hard drive in. I then um, changed that bigger hard drive to an SSD, which made it go faster. And then I changed that SSD to a bigger SSD. And I'd even have the option of swapping out the DVD for a second hard drive. So it's a no from MacBytes headquarters, but we eagerly await the opportunity to enjoy Jonathan's excitement vicariously. Having said that, those new MacBook Pros aren't even in the hands of those who have ordered them yet, before the rumour mill started again. A 14-inch MacBook Pro to launch in 2021. These rumours just, they're coming at us at an alarming rate. I predict there'll be a new iPhone in, in 2037. <laughs> uh, you heard it here first. Does that count, Mike? No. As an exclusive? No. <laughs> it's a rumour we don't do rumours. I know, give us a chance to enjoy this year's model before you start speculating about next year's. Crying out loud. But we do have something new and shiny, don't we? We do indeed. He's wondering what now. Oh, we do. We do. Brace yourselves. New internet. Ooh, I'm so excited. <clears throat> can, can you tell? Can you tell I'm a little bit excited about that, Mike? Just a little bit. Okay. Do you know, I got thinking about um, all the times we've had it 
changed or upgraded. I struggled to remember who we went with first and then it hit me, CompuServe. CompuServe on a 28.8 modem. And I think it, we were actually really early with the internet. Wasn't it 1993? And, w- and it was like a walled garden of CompuServe, wasn't it? And then there was this browser thing and you went out into the Wild West that the internet is. Some things haven't changed. Do you remember that? I remember that well. CompuServe. Then then I went to AOL. I don't know why. <laughs> All of this was on your telephone line at the time. Uh, before finally settling on Demon. And that was a 56k modem. Do you know what I can't remember? Because that's the down speed. I have no recollection of what the up speed was on those. No idea. None no whatsoever. Idea. No. We were with Demon for quite a while. And then we switched to broadband with Demon. Brace yourself with this. <laughs> the speed of our first broadband was 512k. <laughs> but that was broadband. And it was blindingly fast to us back then. It was 10 times faster than we'd had. Uh, we stuck with Demon for quite a while. And then we moved to B. I had a love-hate relationship with B, didn't I? Um, it was 10 meg down and 1 meg up. And we were with them for quite a while, I think. Um... They We didn't start off on 10 meg. We kind of got to 10 meg. But to get to 10 meg and, and stick at it, it all depended how far you were from the exchange. Now, it's really weird where we live, isn't it? We are technically in Greater Manchester because our postcode is M33. So um, our post would come through Manchester. But we're also in Cheshire. <laughs> so technically... We should have a different postcode, but but we're in we're at postal wise we're M thirty three, but other than that we're in Cheshire, which puts us right on the border. And the problem with that is, we are at the end of the cable run for what for us was broadband. So the end of the uh, copper cable run, right at the end. We're also the last one that ever gets any post, aren't we, Mike? We are because literally two roads away, it's in Warrington. Now, we are nowhere near Warrington. We must be 25 miles from Warrington. But it's just the way that the, the country is divided. So um, you probably have even more luck. You, you would be even slower if you were two roads away. But we could never get it above 10. And even then, that was with the faceplate off, the cable connectors off and me hot wiring it. Uh, if I didn't do that, the speed would drop to about five. So um, love-hate relationship with them because whenever there was a problem, they swore blind it was my side of the faceplate. I didn't really like to explain that the faceplate wasn't a concept with which I agreed and it had gone. But it was never our side of the faceplate and it took three to four weeks every time to fix it. Uh, they were reticent about going in and fixing it because the B equipment was actually inside the local BT office. And for B to get in there, they had to pay BT to do it. That is why it always took a month. They seem to collect the complaints together and then go deal with them at the same time. But I'd been itching to shift for a while. And I remember saying to you, Mike, there's a Virgin system and it says it's 100 meg. And obviously that would have been 10 times faster than our 10 meg. And I didn't do it as fast as I thought. Well, as fast as I should probably have done, because I had trouble believing we'd actually get anything like 100 I don't know what your thoughts were. I just followed what you thought, because you're the expert on that. 
No, you don't I'm not think. paid to think. No, I, just logic. Logic to me was, you know, I've always been the end of the cable running. It never runs at the speed they say, and it's going to be a lot more expensive. But what happened in the end was, weren't B taken over by somebody, or, or they, they were merged with somebody? Forgotten who? And whoever it was, I, I can't remember who it was, but whoever it was was like me. Was like, I'm not fancying that. So we did it, and it was on. Um, it was bought by Telefonica Europe. Was it? Uh, that might have been the last one. I don't think. I had no beef with and them. And then it was sold to Sky. Oh, it, it yeah. was Sky they merged with. That was right. Yeah. And I had a Sky account and they wanted to merge the two and I was not up for that. So we moved. But we did. We got over 100 meg uh, and we had 10 meg up and we were thrilled, weren't we? Uh, that kept going up little by little. I think in the end we got to about 160 meg uh, down with that one. But into April 2018, so just over two years ago, we did another big update and we had no choice with that one. Um, we were with Virgin Residential the first time we went with Virgin. But the second time, the only way we could get the faster speed was to switch to Virgin Business. It didn't really make a jot of difference, did it, Mike? It did. Your no contention ratio is supposed to be better, but I don't I've not noticed that it was or not, but it was a business one and it was a little bit more expensive. That, you'll recall, Mike, was the Banana Gate installation. I remember it well, although I wasn't here. No, no but we've, we're still hearing about it now. People still say when I say and then use the password, have you got it on a banana? <laughs> yep, that's me. What can I say? I went paperless, found a pen, couldn't find a piece of paper, wrote it on a banana. Anyway. I was just innocently meandering around the Virgin website, wasn't I? <clears throat> Not totally. Uh, who had, was it Sky? I read an article that said uh, one gig broadband coming. And I thought, what, what, where, where? And it wasn't Virgin. It was somebody else. And I thought, well, I'm not switching to whoever it is. But surely, surely if they've got it, Virgin will have it. So I went up over to the Virgin site and you can put your postcode in. And of course, the problem with putting your postcode in is it then asks for a house number and you give it yours. And it says you've already got Virgin. And I needed to know what speed they could offer. And as existing customers, you don't get a priority for an upgrade. So I put somebody else's address in nearby, like <laughs> two doors down. Um, and yes, one gig broadband was available. Now, by this time, we were on 380. So that would have been three times faster. Oh, I was so excited. The problem was this one had another name. This wasn't Banana Gate, was it? No, this was COVID-19 Gate because it was Friday the 13th of March. We weren't actually in lockdown, but pretty much you and I were, weren't we? We were. I hadn't been out since the dentist on the 6th of March, and he's going to have to wait a while to see me again. Um, so we did the thing. This is Friday afternoon, and it was like, well, let's see if, if we can have it. And yes, we could. And here we are. <gasps> so excited. And he's purring away happily. And did they fleece us for the privilege? Um. <clears throat> no, actually, because we were on the business one, the business service cost more than the residential, but it was the only way to get the faster one, which was the 380 meg. This time, there is no one gig service available for business, so we had no choice but to go residential. Um, but the residential's three times faster and it costs less. I'm not quite sure how they work that one out, but um, yeah, it's cheaper. Not often I say that, is it? It's not, no. What's the lead time to get an installation appointment? Not good. 
it's usually at least three weeks and it's so annoying because you've booked it, you know something's better is coming, but you've got to wait for it. Mm, wasn't this time though, was it? No, rang on a Friday, got installation on the Tuesday. Yes! Got to admit, though, the installation was face masks at dawn. It was like the Zorro sequel at MacBytes headquarters. And did we have the usual nightmare installation? You've never actually been here, have you, for an installation? I don't think I have. No. I just hear about it second you hand. Do. <laughs> this time you were, but you were trying to deliver a live course, as I recall, on, on the um, mobile data off your phone because the internet was about to yeah. go off. Not as bad as I feared. Um, the first Virgin uh, installation we had was back when mum and dad were still with us. And I'd never had any need for installers to visit before because it was all via the telephone system. Mum wasn't fond of visitors to the house at any point, And dad was far too interested in them, as was the dog. Uh, Maya was somewhat over-friendly and over-exuberant for any visitor to be able to cope with. And mum was concerned about holes being drilled and damage caused. I finally persuaded her of the necessity. So it's back in the 2013 one. Um, and she came up with a plan. She locked both Maya and Dad in the front room. Two birds, one stone. <laughs> Dad wouldn't be all over the installer like he knew what she was talking about. And Maya wouldn't be all over the installer, ensuring he was suitable to be allowed inside. Um, the first Dad actually knew of the visit was when Mum turned the key of the front room and informed him he wasn't going anywhere until the job was done. <laughs> They did drill a hole through the garden wall, um, but you can barely see it, uh, buried the cable along the fence line and then took the cable up the front of the house, around the front door and finally down the side wall and into the hall. It was all done in about an hour. And most of that time was um, his computer doing a Windows update, which he, he turned it on and it wouldn't stop. <laughs> he sat there cursing it. Uh, the second time, it was just me. Well, me with a pen and a banana for the password, obviously. Um, that was even easier because they, he didn't need to install the cable. He was changing the box and that was it. Uh, but this time, it was masks at the ready as I socially distanced from him. And banana in hand. Oh, no. Things have moved on since then. You are now given a credit card-sized plastic card with the credentials on it. Um... It was about 40 minutes and he was done and it was purring like a kitten. Save for one outage on the 27th of April, which neither of us will ever forget, will we? We won't. I was in the middle of a live show, marooned at MacBytes headquarters. So obviously I was doing a local recording and it was broadcasting. The internet had been on and off for a couple of hours, but it had really settled down. So I thought, I'll stick with it. We won't go on the 4G. Um, and we were fine for about 40 minutes. And then I realised possibly they weren't hearing me. Um, but the local recording that I make is so we can publish it as a podcast afterwards. And you get the, un <laughs> the unedited version of me cursing. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> They're all safe for work words. But I'm like, for crying out loud. And I literally have to keep talking because that's part of the show. Uh, and I managed to get my iMac hooked up to my 4G and carry on. You weren't with me that night because you were already doing a Zoom meeting, weren't you? I was on 4G. On 4G. And um, mm. you know when you say to me, why do you buy all these um, stands for iPhones? Now you know, don't you? 
because I popped your iPhone into a very nice stand, which meant that you could turn it either way. So it could be landscape or portrait um, at just the right height. So it was the same as like a webcam and do your Zoom meeting. Mm. Mm. So I was right again. Uh, Yes. So it was rather good that. Does the Virgin Box support Wi-Fi? It does. Um, It has a primary Wi-Fi and you can set up a guest Wi-Fi. Nothing wrong with it per se, but I don't use it. Why don't you use it? I prefer the wireless network to be independent of the router. Because if the router needs changing, like it does every time you upgrade, um, you've got to rebuild your entire wireless network with it. So we had an Airport Extreme. Um, We started off with the flat one and then we went to the more modern upright one. And that provided the, the Wi-Fi for years. We extended it with a collection of Airport Expresses um, until we had one old Airport Express expire. You know, the ones that plug straight into the wall. They were so convenient for just popping in your bag when you when you left when you left home. Well, you remember when you used to go out away for holidays and things. Uh, Well, that one expired, sadly. So I replaced it with one of the newer style ones. I think they're about £100, £130, something like that. That thing was spawn of the devil from day one. It was erratic. It had one of these intermittent faults, which would adversely affect the entire network. You literally had to unplug it to get the rest of the network to work. So I had to retire it in the end. There was nothing wrong with the configuration. I'd saved the configuration, reconfigured it, tried it again, restored it, you name it. It it just wouldn't have it. So it did have an intermittent fault. No point returning something like that because Apple can't find a fault if the screen's missing, much less something that's innocuously causing a little bit of an issue, um, but nothing that is provable. So I decided at that point, so I'd lost one of the... Um, repeaters. I'd lost the second one, which was the replacement. So I decided to research a replacement for the entire Airport Extreme wireless network, which at that point was still hanging on, wasn't it? But I think you experienced problems with it as well. It wasn't just me. No, I did as well. Sometimes it is just me. Sometimes I can just sense that things are fractionally slower than I would like. And when I check the lights, I can tell by by the way the lights flash. You remember when you used to do dial-up and you could tell whether it was going to connect or not because you got used yeah. to the beeps? You're yeah. hearing them in your head right now, aren't you? I, am. I uh, am. I'm the same with wireless networks. If I just glance at the lights, I can tell you straight away there's an issue. Uh, and it kept going into like a broadcast storm mode. So something was wrong with one of these devices. When I retired that one, it was a little bit better. Uh, but I started researching because what I wanted was a single vendor solution. I didn't want to be putting things together that that was like some kind of Frankenstein thing. I thought it would be far easier just to have one type of device and manage that. So I decided on the Linksys Velop system. Um, It's a system of Velop nodes, which are very similar to the airport devices. You install and configure the whole thing via the Linksys iOS app. So they come in a box of three. Um, The first node that you install becomes the master node, and then each additional node extends the network. Now, you could, if you set up that second one, set up a completely separate network if you wanted. But what I wanted to do with all of the extra ones was have them in sort of repeater mode. So um, all of the additional nodes extend the network. 
So as I say, they're sold in a pack of three and they're sold based on the square footage covered or the number of bedrooms. Now, that's not an exact science. So when you look at it on Amazon and you're looking at it, I mean, I'm, I've not moved in years. I think I was 12 the last time we moved house. But in, in Britain, we don't tend to refer to spaces as a certain square footage, not in common use. You might say a house has got four bedrooms, but you don't talk about the square footage, do you? No. Not unless you're an estate agent anyway. So I worked on the number of bedrooms, but I also worked on the fact that we have slate in the walls, in the interior walls. <laughs> there is a sheet of slate um, in the wall between the office and the studio. I know this for a fact because I had to install a shelf. 15 drill bits later, <laughs> literally they were worn to a knob. Um, there's definitely slate in that wall. There's also slate in the wall between the house and the garden. Now, at the front of the house, we have what's called a bay window. And I always said to my mother, didn't I, it was cold. And she'd say to me, don't be ridiculous. It's no colder than the back bedroom. Until many years later, we discovered that the upstairs bay window has no bricks in it. It's like um, a framework with tiles over it. So I was quite right. It was freezing. We fixed that. We put a fake wall in. Um, so now it's much warmer. Obviously, that also adversely affects your Wi-Fi. But um, we have a great signal at the front of the house, but it's shocking at the back. So I figured I'd try three nodes and then add additional nodes once I'd got the whole thing set up. So I set up the first node and I put it in the hall because that's where the internet comes through with the Virgin box. And they are connected with just a six inch, I think, you know, 12 inch network cable. So it's very tiny. One's just plugged into the other. Then I added another one on the landing and I'm, I'm virtually working on a line of sight to the office. And I put the third one in the office. Um, the three went well between the office and the hall. Because that worked so well, I then added another three. So at that stage, I'd got the hall, the landing and the office. And I added one to the studio, the bedroom and the extension at the back of the house. I tested and I waited and I watched. Um, and I decided to add another three. Magically multiplying, aren't they, Mike? <laughs> so I've got one in the hall, the landing, the office, the studio, the bedroom, the extension at the back, the front room, and then I decided to put a second one in the office because that's where most of the devices are and a second one in the extension because it's cavernous. It's literally huge. How tall's the ceiling? Tall. What, 12 foot? Mm. It, it's very tall. It basically goes up to the first level of the house. So it's big. It is huge. All was well. And then the new Virgin router arrived. The iOS app makes the management of the whole system easy. But since I've been installing routers since they used a text-based Telnet interface, a little control would be nice. There's always a fight between automated and control. So I decided rather than reconfiguring the whole thing again, I'd cheat. <laughs> and I tried to shortcut the entire switch of the wireless network. So at this point, the wireless network is going out on the old Virgin system, the business one, which we've put a cancellation order in for and that will cancel when, when the money runs out, basically. Um, I wanted to take the entire wireless network, move it from that to the new one. And that's part of the reason when you said, why don't you use the inbuilt Virgin one? Because you want your wireless network to have independence of a box that may get changed. Because can you imagine reconfiguring nine envelopes? Nightmare City. Would take a while. No, it would be 
it would be just so time consuming. So um, I decided rather than doing all of that, I'd shortcut it by ensuring that the router IP addresses were identical and then try a swift shift. Uh, so I powered everything down and then replugged it in the other one and then powered it all back up and hoped it wouldn't notice the difference. Luckily, it worked, so no time wasted fiddling. I was up and running after simply unplugging the master node and cabling it up with the new Virgin box and then plugging the power in again. And it was humming sweetly. So what are the best features of the Velop? Um, wireless network independent from the router. So if something happened to the Velops, I could actually turn the wireless on on the Virgin box as a backup. Um, at the moment, it's turned off. I, I don't bother putting it into um, modem mode because it takes too long. The modem mode can take two hours to kick in. So I just do, I just turn the wireless off and that works absolutely fine. And it gives me the benefit that if anything did happen with the Velops, I could turn the wireless back on rather than having to fiddle getting it out of modem mode. The iOS app is actually pretty good for it. I was concerned with the Apple setup, how long the airport utility would have any use. So yeah, the, the app is very, very good. It's very good. I've managed to get the guest network going. I always had problems with on the Apple one. One minute it was there and the next minute it wasn't. <clears throat> so a guest network um, gives guests access to the internet, but not your local network. Uh, what we've done with that to make it even easier, remember when people could visit the house? I know it's a while, but when people could visit the house, we have at the door a barcode <laughs> printed out in a frame. No, not a barcode, a QR code in a frame. And it says, help yourself to the Wi-Fi. And all they need to do is point their camera at it and that's it. No, no password sharing, nothing. Uh, it is password protected, obviously, but this QR code actually just lets them get straight onto it. Uh, so I like that. I like that. Uh, and the remote management. It doesn't really matter where I am. If there's a problem with the network, I can get to it via this app and reboot things and anything I need to do. So if Mike was left here and I wasn't, where would I be, Mike? Hmm. Well, on the odd occasion that I wasn't actually here, you know, uh, then I could do that remotely uh, and Mike wouldn't need to. It wouldn't need to be the old way of me saying, no, go downstairs. No, not that one, the other one, and trying to talk you through it. So I could do it like that. Now, two questions in one. Hmm. Do you really need nine of them? And the sub question is also known as why does Elaine have so many velops? Many people would not need nine of them, but I don't have the time to waste dealing with dropouts. Um, when you consider how many wireless devices we have at MapBytes headquarters, nine's a good idea. Uh, seriously, we have many more devices than many small businesses. Uh, I did a quick count. We've got at least 10 to 12 computers. The iOS devices, I have lost count. No joke. I know I've got 14 iPads and three phones and iPod Touch and whatever you've got, but I've lost count. So there's a lot of them. Should, should we round that off to about 20 to 25? Something like that. Yeah. I've got four Kindles. Uh, there are two Android tablets and your Surface. And then there's all the Echo devices. And we've got more of those than we have rooms. I think we've got 16, but don't quote me. Um, and then in addition to that, there's things that you install and you totally forget. There's the cameras we've got. So the whole house is wired up with cameras. 
which has been a blast, hasn't it, lately? Um, I've discovered that you can wind it back and record things. Oh, I'm having a ball. An absolute ball. So if I see somebody who shouldn't be out, I've got you on camera. But again, every one of those cameras needs an IP address. And the other things, what else have we got, Mike? Because I know you'll forget this one and you use it every day, more than once a day. And you'll forget what? No idea. No? A device that needs an IP address and you control it. Light bulbs, Mike. Oh, yes. <laughs> Echo-enabled light bulbs. So we have hundreds of devices, literally. I'm going to have to seriously think about reconfiguring the network. There's that many. Um, then, so, so all of those are, are like connecting to various devices um, all over the place. And I like to have more powerful Wi-Fi than the house next door because otherwise their microwave interferes with it. I did notice as I was testing it that I had more dropouts with three and more dropouts with six than I did with nine. So with, with three, I'd say every couple of days you might need to reboot one. With six, it was probably about once a week. But with nine, unless there's some kind of problem, um, sometimes Virgin do maintenance overnight and then you do need to kick one of these velops, just restart it. Uh, but other than that, it it is better. So I would say having three times as many, it's three times better, Mike. Shall I buy some more? <laughs> oh, and all the velops need to be on the network as well. Nine's the magic number. Okay, okay. But there was a bonus with all of this switching that went on. Um, I use an application called Screens Connect, and I know you do too, don't you? I have it installed. I haven't used it for a long time. Oh, that, that's his usual answer. I have it installed, which means I've no idea what that does, but you told me to install it. It's where you can remote access your computers. So, you know, like you would use remote desktop internally. It's basically yeah. remote desktop externally. But the business service from Virgin never liked the concept of UPnP. Obviously, when they come, they install a business router. Um, it had DMZ on it and all kinds of stuff. And there was the UPnP and it was configured perfectly and it still didn't work. So I was fighting that for ages it, because it's critical for remotely logging in and using remote screen sharing. Um, I gave up in the end. It was like, do you know what? You don't go out that much. It's fine. Anyway, um, I was configuring the new one terabyte router. It was much smoother. I put exactly the same configuration in and that one's working perfectly. Problem now? not leaving the house much. Mike said, can't you go in the garden and try it? I said, what, on the house Wi-Fi? Oh, yes. But I have tried it. It does work. Um, I turned off the Wi-Fi and I went in via 4G and it's all working. So very, very happy bunnies here, aren't we, with our new internet, new shiny internet. There is actually an, another system um, that I spotted when I was doing my research called, it's either Eero or Aero. It's E-E-R-O, um, Aero Mesh from Amazon. Um, they're similar-ish, but I stuck with the Linksys as being, that's what Apple put in their stores to sell when they took the airport stuff out. So I figured at least I know it's probably fairly decent. So I stuck with that one. But there are alternatives. Price-wise, when I first looked at the Linksys Velops, they were £399 for four, which is horrific. If you are careful and you watch out for these special sale days at Amazon, which obviously I'm a whiz with, to mention being a whiz at Amazon buying things, um, there is they put the price down and it goes really low. So I paid 220 for the same thing. So there's 180 pounds off it. 
Um, that might sound expensive for three of them, but when you think the Apple ones were 100 to 130, no, it's actually cheaper. So, so far, so good with them, Mike, let's say that. But we have been on a bit of a buying spree, haven't we? Incoming tech toys. We have since we entered lockdown. In fact, before we entered lockdown, we've been presenting more live shows, haven't we? Oh, absolutely. We decided that since we were marooned, we should share it. So marooned at MacBytes headquarters was born. We thought it'd be fun to do a show every night at 7pm for the first week of lockdown. So five shows. Um, but it was such fun. We've run with it. And tonight is show 63 in 63 days. It's a miracle. We also present a live music request show every weekend on our other radio station, brooklands196.com. In fact, we worked it out the other day that since the 16th of March, which was the date of our first episode of Marooned, we've delivered over 150 hours of live content. Unlike MacBytes, where we're in separate rooms when we record, with the live shows, we're in the same room. Now, recording in the same room is not new to us, but with the MacBytes lives, the live shows that we do when we cover Apple events, and also with the first few after hours, I had to sit next to you. Oh, had to sit next to you. Mm, make that sound like a huge hardship. No, I don't mean it like that. We used to use a single microphone, which was on your desk connected to your iMac, because that was the machine that we were broadcasting from. And that meant I had to move my chair across the office and sit next to you. But it never really felt right. Really? When you're in a hole, stop digging, boy. No, 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 no. What I mean is... <laughs> Carry <Yeah>. on. <clears throat> now I've lost me. Now I've lost me. You've thought. lost your train of no. thought. Yes. Did you not write it on no, a banana? What I mean is, no, what I mean is I was always slightly too far from the microphone and the way that the mic is configured to only pick up sound right in front of it, I sounded quite faint. Now, in After Hours, I had to use your Mac to do my demos and I was never really comfortable with that. And to quote you, it didn't feel like my Mac. No, mine had so, all, all up-to-date software on it and stuff. It, it freaked him out. It did, yeah. <laughs> so, you came up with a solution that lets me present and talk from my desk using my Mac and my microphone, which is connected to my iMac via a USB cable. Rather than having the mic taking up space on my desk, it's attached to a metal arm, you know, like you see in a radio studio. Mm, I know, I installed it. I know you did. The arm is attached to the desk behind the iMac, and when I want to talk, I just pull the arm down to mouth level. So, your idea was to add a bracket to the arm and hang a second microphone off it, but not plug the second microphone into my Mac. That would be pointless because your Mac is the broadcast machine. In other words, you've configured audio hijack and wirecast on your Mac so that when you press broadcast or whatever the button says, it sends the audio in the case of Marooned and the audio and video in the case of After Hours to YouTube or MacBytes FM or wherever we're broadcasting to. So what we needed to do was get the audio from my second microphone to your Mac so it could be broadcast to the world through audio hijack or wirecast. 
we tested it with an XLR cable, plugged one end into my second mic and the other end into the H6 digital audio recorder, which was placed on your desk. The H6 was then connected to your Mac via a cable. Now, at this stage, it was a proof of concept, so the cable was draped across the floor. I thought, there's no point installing it properly, and I'll explain what I mean by properly in a minute, if it wasn't going to work. Although health and safety would have had a fit if they'd seen it. Actually, digressing, a few months ago at work, I was delivering some training, and it was a rare occasion in that it was face-to-face training because most of the training that I deliver is virtual. The way that the room was laid out, there was eight laptops on eight tables with a power cable stretched to the wall sockets. And you know what happened? Someone took a sly photo and sent it to health and safety. And the next thing I know, I turned up the week after and some cones had been delivered to the room and strategically placed to stop people walking over the cables. Yes, you may well laugh. I thought I was going to get in real trouble. Do you know, it reminds me of something that you may remember. I went to, you know, in relation to these cones. Cones are the answer to everything with health and safety, apparently. Do you remember when we went to that, um, what could only be described as a hellhole, up in Chorley for an hour? I didn't go. You did. You, you went in the evening, didn't you? I thought you joined us in the evening. Don't maybe remember not. it. But we went to this place. It, what was it? Camelot, it was called. And it was a theme park, but it had a hotel um, and a banqueting hall. And it was one of these banqueting halls where they would put on an event and it would be like um, Henry VIII kind of thing. Slinging, think, think slinging drumsticks all over the place. And um, it was appalling. And in relation to the cones, I'll come to the cones, but we walked in, um, it was me and my mother, we walked in and I had a white jacket on and I brushed past this wall and it was filthy and I mean like soot. We then got given a drink and we walked over to um, where there was like a ledge over the top of a radiator. Do you remember this, Mike? I remember you telling me. I put the drink down on the radiator while I went into my bag for something and I glanced on the floor and there was a vermin trap. More worryingly, there was a dead mouse sticking out of it. And next to it, there was a glass, like a wine glass. I just looked at my mother and said, this is not good. This is not good. So we went into the the conference. um, And when it got to lunchtime, we were using the facilities, bathroom break time. Came to go in the ladies. Needless to say, no queue for the gents. Queue for the ladies was twice round the place. When I got to the door, I realised why. There was a broken, there was actually two broken windows with cobwebs hanging off them. And one of the toilets or more of them had leaked. And the answer to it was to jam the doors open with cones. So, you know, you mentioned the cones. Health and safety had come round and instead of condemning these toilets, I mean, a bucket would have been a step up. All they'd done was put cones in it. They'd even put cones next to the toilets themselves. Can you imagine trying to get in and out of a toilet with a cone on either side of the door? Do you remember what happened at the end of the day, Mike? 
You had about six pieces of paper to write your feedback on. <laughs> they gave you a feedback form for the entire day. And like the thing at the bottom was like any other comments. And the first set of comments was all about the content of the day. But the second bit was about the venue. Well, I started and I filled in this thing. It was probably about eight lines. And I turned over and I carried on down the back. So I filled in an entire thing of A4 because there was no food either. They provided lunch for the Microsoft delegates, but none for the attendees. This place was in the middle of nowhere. Um, literally, there was a service station that you could tantalisingly see. But to get to it, you had to go all through the back roads and get on a motorway and drive for 20 miles to get to it. It was horrific. So I filled the entire back sheet and I still had more to say. So um, they're, they're rattling away with, with the wrap up. And I put my hand up and said, can I have another piece of paper, please? And he said, the feedback's on that. I said, I've got more to say, paper. So he gave me about five sheets of paper and I filled the lot. But Microsoft were and still are probably, but back then, definitely. They were very, very keen on reading the feedback. So during the wrap up, this guy said, We've loved it here because they were staying at the hotel and they were doing go-kart racing and everything because it was a theme park. They were having a ball. The attendees not having a ball. And we were there from nine in the morning till nine at night. No food, no water, nothing. So I wrote all of this stuff out. So the last session of, of the day, um, he said, because it was a two day thing. We were staying at another hotel. Uh, the last session of the day said, and we're coming back here next time. It's fantastic, et cetera, et cetera. So I put this comments and feedback in and they got faxed, faxed. That's how long ago it was. It was before we had Maya, so it was the late 90s. Um, they faxed them back to Microsoft headquarters. We get to the session the following morning to find there was food and water. The toilets had been dealt with. There was a bloke cleaning the walls. And when we went into the opening session, he said, you know, last night I said we were coming back here next time. <clears throat> we're not. And I just looked at my mother and said, hmm, got through then. <laughs> so that's my tale about cones. You do not just fill the toilets with cones. That, that, but that's health and safety for you, isn't it? It is. Do you remember those rubber strips that we had at one of those training companies I worked for? They were placed on the floor and they were supposed to stop people tripping up over the cables. When you say, do I remember them? I think I should get the prize for installing those the very, very best ever. Because every day, Mike, you, you stride over one and you don't even know. Look behind you at the door. There's one of them underneath the carpet. Oh, there is. There is. There is. There? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mine are fabulous. I don't need cones. They're actually installed no. properly. Anyway, more on health and safety in a minute. Back to this story of the cables. Once we'd got the proof of concept installed and tested, we bought a 20 metre cable and installed it properly. And what I mean by properly is taking it behind my desk, around the office, behind a bookshelf, over the door, behind the magic MacBytes cupboard and finally under your desk to the H6. And all was well. For all of five minutes. Yes, after a couple of weeks, I developed an audio problem. Well, I didn't develop an audio problem, not me personally. A distinct crackle. Hopefully it wasn't me. It was my equipment. <laughs> I think you should move on. Stop talking, Mike. I think I, I, think I should. Anyway, you, you tracked the fault down to the cable and bought another one. And this time we take a note of the health and safety issues. 
Our solution, a bright yellow cable. Well, seeing as the carpet is black, a black cable wasn't really a good idea, was it? Not after the 20th time I nearly broke my neck on it, no. Well, all was fine. For the first week, anyway. And then the audio started breaking up. The microphone was fine. The H6 was fine. The cable was fine. Luckily, we had another cable, but it was black. Back to the short three metre black cable while we pondered what to do. You decided to get another yellow cable, but this time only a short three metre one. My logic was to test a more expensive brand. We used that one for many weeks on After Hours. And then we went on lockdown and marooned at Magpie's headquarters became a daily thing. Hang on, we need a drum roll at that point. We definitely need a drum roll every time we say daily. Carry on. And then we decided that plugging and unplugging this cable into my microphone every night was a major pain. The expensive yellow cable was still going strong, so all we needed was a 20 metre version of it installed properly. Properly, meaning not trailing across the floor. And all would have been well. But for lockdown impacting Amazon's delivery schedule, they were focused, they assured me, on the delivery of essential items. And apparently, a 20 metre XLR audio cable did not rank as essential. Hmm. Six week back order it was then. I begged to differ. And after a few days in a virtual lacuna, I got a dispatch notice. Before we knew it, we had a shiny, 20-metre, yellow, no-bull cable ready for install. Great name. Reminds me of a software company that you dealt with about 25 years ago. Oh, they were a supplier of three-and-a-half-inch discs. Uh, blank discs. Um, how, de- how delicately to put this? Um, chicken SH1T software. Do you remember the label on them, I do remember the label. It was a chicken and a pile of, let's move on. (laughs) There's an icon for that. Do you know what? I'm sure I've still got some somewhere. I'm going to dig one out and and take a photo. Dig one out? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, back to this story. Once again, we didn't want to install the cable properly until we knew it was working. And this meant that every time we did a live show, we had to get the cable out of the drawer, plug it into the H6, trail it across the floor and into my microphone. And I can't tell you the number of times that I forgot to plug the mic in before we started broadcasting. So far, so good with the new one. Trust me, if this one breaks, it's going back. Uh, No bull provide a lifetime guarantee. And given this noble cable was twice the price of the first 20 metre one, I've squirrelled away the guarantee, just in case it has the temerity to commit Harry Carey. Now, the microphone cable wasn't the only cable that needed installing. One of my jobs during a live broadcast is to monitor the audio. In terms of can listeners hear the broadcast, is the quality okay, etc. Because we're in the same room, I have one ear listening to you and the other ear listening to the broadcast. And I do this by opening YouTube or Mapbytes FM or Brooklyn's 196 and listening to the live broadcast. The issue is that the live broadcast is about 20 to 30 seconds behind, which is fine when all I'm doing is monitoring. Even when I'm participating, it's fine. During After Hours or Marooned, you might ask me a question, for example. Because I can hear you live in one ear rather than through the broadcast, I can answer you in real time. 
but it's a different story when the audio source isn't you. For example, we've had a few live guests coming on Marooned. We've had Jonathan, we've had Paul from Ohio, and we've had Tracy, and more guests to follow. They call in via your Skype number, and you can hear them in real time through your headphones, which are connected to your iMac. But because I'm not connected to your iMac, I can't hear their end of the conversation. I can if I listen to the broadcast, but that means I can't contribute to the conversation because I'm 30 seconds behind. So, the answer? Plug a Y adapter splitter into your iMac. Plug your headphones into one jack and mine into the other. The problem? Yes, you've guessed it. Another cable trailing across the room. We decided there's no point in doing a job twice, so we ordered a 20 meter audio cable to go from the splitter to my headphones. And when it arrived, we removed the broken black microphone cable. That's the one going from the H6 under your desk, behind the Magic Mac Bytes cupboard, over the door frame, behind a cupboard on the wall, behind my iMac and into my microphone. And we took the Noble cable and the new audio cable and took them, yes, you've guessed it, under your desk, behind the Magic Mac Bytes cupboard, over the door frame, behind a cupboard on the wall and behind my iMac. One is plugged into my Mac and the other is plugged into my headphones. But we still weren't finished. Working from home means that I've started attending a lot more virtual meetings. You know, the sort of virtual meetings where appearing on camera is preferred. And if you're appearing on camera, it's important to get the lighting right. If the room is dark, you'll appear to be cast in shadows. On the other hand, too much light and your face will appear washed out. So the answer was to invest in a ring light. Two, actually. Um, <clears throat> slight confession. You know you said two? Yes. It was three. Just saying. Okay. I've had a permanently installed ring light for quite a while now, uh, mainly to light my desk for the unboxings in MacBytes After Hours. It's a smallish thing. It's only six inches, but it's certainly bright enough. It's at the side of my desk, angled over the main work area. Uh, the temperature of the light's controllable, so the colour of it slightly changes. The brightness is controllable. Uh, it's powered via USB. It's really well made for the price because the casing of it is metal. Normally with these things, they're plastic and they can get quite hot. Uh, this one was only £16. Um, it was originally about 28 but th this wasn't a special offer. The price just went down. So the £16, and I'll put a link in the show notes. So why did we get three more? <clears throat> one for each desk. <laughs> we actually already had enough light in the studio, but not from behind the monitor, which was where the light needed to come from uh, if you're using a webcam. Um, the other one uh, went behind, well, the second one went behind my iMac in the office. So now I've got lighting from both sides. I've got three monitors set up. So I've got one behind the left monitor and one behind the right. And the third one was for you. Ah, thank you. Now, it didn't stop there either, did it? No. Next purchase was yet another iPad stand. <laughs> I dare not count how many iPad stands I have. But they're all for different scenarios, as I mentioned earlier, with the one on the articulated arm for you. Uh, this one, though, was um, a Lamical iPad stand. Its USP was It Tilts. 
there it's like a metal mini iMac leg to look at, but the head on it is adjustable. So it allows you to see the iPad at an appropriate tilt for whatever it is you're doing. Obviously, if you're watching something, that's a very different tilt from if you're typing something. Now, the extra benefit for me is using it for the iPhone when I'm using it as a backup audio recording device. And how I do that is I turn the stand round and I use it backwards um, with the iPhone upside down. Actually, it sounds pretty much like that magic uh, keyboard from last week, doesn't it? It does. Mm. Um, but it's the stand is really useful in so many different circumstances. There is a dedicated iPhone model. But I don't think the two could be used interchangeably. The iPhone stand is so light, a, a, a wind would knock it sideways. The iPad stand is way better made. Now, another thing to avoid if you're going to look at these things, underneath at Amazon, it says there's a newer model available. So I click through and I look at the newer model. Um, it's plastic. It's completely different. It's a single angle. And it's got this folding contraption going on with it. Now, it's not a bad stand if that's what you want. But to me, it's not a replacement for the other one. Um, it's because the, the original one was multifunction and it was metal. I'll tell you another time that happened. You know, the A-frame that you still use? Yeah. The A-frame was purchased uh, with iPad 1, wasn't it? I think it was. Do you remember looking at it when we went to the Apple store to, to exchange your magically multiplying yeah. iPad? We looked at it and in the Apple store, it was about 60 or 70 pounds. And we made the decision we're not paying that for it. And then we got one from Amazon. It was much, much cheaper. Well, I was researching stands um, thinking, oh, you know, there's the A-frame. And I went back and there's an A-frame. Um, is it? Oh, who's the manufacturer of the A-frame? Griffin. It's not Logitech. Griffin. Griffin. A Griffin A-frame. And there's this Griffin A-frame and it says, you know, A-frame, iPad stand. And I looked at it, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. This thing was now about £7 on plastic. Now, by comparison to what we bought, there is no comparison. <laughs> I tell you what I did to get more than one of those, Mike, back in the day, cost effectively. Do you know what I did? No, do tell. I bought refurb via Amazon. <laughs> So these stands, you know, were hugely expensive, like 35, 40 pounds minimum. Um, but you could get them refurb and they were about 12. Uh, a couple of scratches on the top, but not nothing to worry about at all. You could you could get them out with with a decent cloth. Um, so we do have more than one A-frame. But uh, yeah, the A-frames are now plastic rubbish as well, which seems to be the way that everything's going. I don't like that. Did you see what Spotify had done? I did not see what Spotify have done, no. They have rolled out the ability for parents to view the listening history of their kids. Think of it as Spotify's secret squirrel. Launched in the US in March. You know what that means, don't you? It won't be coming here anytime soon. Exactly. Spot <laughs> on. Um, it says it's curated family-friendly content. I think everything should be created family-friendly content uh, with added parental controls and copper compliant. They push the fact of no ads. Now, I love the no ads bit because to access this thing, you need a premium account and therefore there are no ads anyway. Just saying. You should see the instructions to block the content. I made it my business to have a look at these instructions. Log into the grown-up section of Spotify Kits. Tap the account you want to check. Go to the listening history. 
From the listening history, tap the block icon next to a track to hide it. Once you've hidden the track, the song won't be visible from anywhere in the child's app. Blocking a song only removes it from that individual child's account, so you can customise what each child is able to listen to. You can then unblock the content at any time by revisiting the pin-protected listening history or blocked content, tap the icon again and then basically go back to step one and go through it all again. <clears throat> Let's be honest. Most parents struggle to keep up with the kids in terms of tech, much less able to control them. Do you not think that's a bit long-winded? It's a lot long-winded. I'm wondering how the parents would know what to block as well. It's a good question. I've got this image of your father circa sort of 1982, um, trying to wonder what on earth you were listening to. He wouldn't have had a clue. And your father with um, oh, Adam and the Ants don't go there. and Bono. <laughs> My father didn't like anybody that I liked. My father liked Elvis Presley. Uh, and big band stuff, big big brass band stuff. Oh, and Nana Muscori had quite a thing for her. Oh, and Tina Turner. But I don't think that was to do with the music. Um, but anything I put on, he did not like. With the sole exception of ABBA. He tolerated ABBA. But um, you should have seen his face when I said, uh, this is number one, Dad. And he said, well, go on, put it on. And it was um, Culture Club, Karma Chameleon. And he looked at boy George and he said, is that a boy? <laughs> said, OK, we've had enough now, Dad. <laughs> could never get over that. There's no way he could have controlled what I was listening to. He wouldn't even have known what to look for to control it. So to me, you, you put this feature out. I reckon if anybody, if any parent is doing any blocking of it, it's probably things that are in the paper. The one thing my parents would have known to block, only I was probably about 16 at the time and that would never have worked, was, remember, go, go back, Mike, in time to being 16. Frankie goes to Hollywood. And that was only because it was all over the paper. Mm. But there are other songs that, that, to this day, I discovered there's a song. I've, I've listened to this song a million times. I've probably even, you know, like you, you kind of know the lyrics when you hear them. You might not be able to sing it from scratch, but you can hum along with the song. I've heard this song a million times. I had no idea the N-word was in it. And it's not bleeped out anywhere. Would my mother know to block that? No. No. No chance. I didn't know it was there, so there's no way that she would. Nice try. Um, maybe in the future. When the techie kids of today have kids of their own. But right now, can't see that working. I could stop you listening to stuff, couldn't I? Oh, no, it's, it, sorry, geographical machinations, US only. Move along, nothing to see. Ah, but I did find something and I knew you'd be thrilled. One I know you've been waiting for for ages. Split view for Office for iPad. It was promised over a year ago. The good news is it's here. Bittersweet update for you, though. The bad news is it only supports Word and PowerPoint. No support for Excel yet. <clears throat> Typical. A while ago, I was asked to update the iPad training course that I deliver at work. And one of the topics that they wanted covering was having two Excel files open at once with the split screen. Not possible, said I. Still not possible. Yes, there's a dirty hack. Open one file in Excel and the other in Excel in a browser and split the screen. But as they say in the UK, it's a faff. That's not actually totally the only way to do it, Mike. There is another slightly less dirty hack. 
Instead of opening it in Excel in a browser, which gives you a cut down version of Excel, you remember that app they brought out that was the whole of the office suite in one application? Yeah. You could open that up and open up Excel in that, and it would actually give you fully functional, two copies of fully functional Excel. But yes, I agree with you. Why isn't it there? At the time when I was asked to update this training, that Office app hadn't been made. Oh, it hadn't been born. Hadn't Bless. been born, yes. <laughs> yeah, there's another slight problem with that app, you know. Isn't it iPhone only? Uh, I think you can install it on an iPad from memory, but I think you have to two times it. Just saying. I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to check. Um, I'd have found it. When I, I thought about it, and I thought, okay, it works with PowerPoint, works with Word. I'd have found it so much more useful in Excel than either Word or PowerPoint. We actually had a practical need for that. When we used to be able to leave the house, we used to do the church count, which is people make donations in a basket. Um, they're all collated together and then <laughs> some poor Muppets like you and I um, go in and count it. Um, now, I had to build this Frankenstein solution with one spreadsheet in Excel and the second one in numbers because I needed two. I needed two sheets. There was no way I could do it on just one sheet and flicking between two sheets wouldn't have worked either. They needed to be where I could see them side by side. It worked, but it's not ideal. And I can't believe why would you ever need to see two PowerPoints side by side? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, that is niche, isn't it? I Actually, I have seen the situation at work where people are trying to compare two presentations for some reason, an old version and an updated version. But I agree with you. It's few and far between. I have a need to update a presentation, maybe. Um, I literally have done that this week because I've got a live session coming up next week. I did a presentation three years ago and the running order of this presentation is bang on point. It's for a different application, but there's enough similarities. So what I did was I made a new presentation based on the template that I use today. And then I dragged all of the slides from the old one in it and started butchering them, you know, changing the words that need changing, changing the images. But at no point would I have put two presentations side by side. That way, madness lies. But Excel, it would actually be useful. I, I guess in Word, it would be useful to compare two documents. But if I looked at the three applications, I would say straight to you, the most useful would be Excel. Mm. Well, they've been at it a year. Let's see how they go with that. In better news, there's a new kid on the block in the HTML editor stakes on the Mac. I started reminiscing about when I was editing uh, HTML all those years ago, Mike. Do you remember starting in Notepad? I remember starting in Notepad, yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering why the images were there when you looked at it, but they weren't when I looked at it. <laughs> yes, because I hadn't uploaded them. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. They were local references. Oh, they were referenced locally. That's what made it even more confusing because you said, I've uploaded them. I know I have. <laughs> we were only learning, weren't we? We, were. we literally coded HTML character by character in a text editor. But we swiftly moved on, didn't we, to Hot Dog. Hot Dog was fabulous. I was bereft when that died. Hot Dog was a HTML editor from, wait for it, Sausage Software. Do you remember what their tagline was, Mike? No idea. Brace yourselves. Can't beat our meat. I'll just leave that there and move on. That's a great tagline. The battle back then was between Hot Dog and Hot Metal. I never really liked Hot Metal. Did you ever use it? Never used it, no. 
it, it was literally head to head with Hot Dog. And I must admit, despite the fact that the interface on Hot Dog at the top where it had the toolbar, it was on a bone. Not even joking, it was on a bone. And, and Hot Metal was, was more businesslike. Hot Dog was better. It was the better app. Corel bought Hot Metal. Hence, it's a given. It died swiftly. Next up was Front Page. Can you remember buying that with me? Vaguely. Where were we? Testing his memory now. PC World? He hasn't got a clue. <laughs> no, we, now you see you're just yeah. guessing. We were in London and we were coming back and we stopped on the North Circular and we went in that little software shop and they had it. It literally just come out and we bought it on three and a half inch floppy disks, about eight of them. We couldn't wait to get back home to try it. No laptops in those days. Um, then we moved to Dreamweaver. Oh, Dreamweaver. It was powerful, but it was so quirky. Do you remember those library includes? Mm. The library includes were like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then you realised you still had to upload the entire site every time you changed the library includes, so it wasn't anything like as amazing as you wanted it to be. A good editor, though, and it had um, a preview next to it. But I went back to a text editor. I actually left Dreamweaver and thought, I can't be doing with all of this. Let me just get back to a text editor and keep it simple. I used EditPad Pro on Windows, and then I moved to a Mac, and I used BB Edit. At some point... Do you remember TextMate, the one that never got the update and was in beta for like 25 years, that one? I I had a go on that and thought, oh, this has got some nice features. But luckily, I found that Sublime Text worked in exactly the same way. So much as I love BB Edit, if I'm marking up text, I'm in Sublime. With BB Edit, I've got scripts to do all kinds of magic. And that's why BB Edit's there as well. But with all of these text editors, do you need a dedicated HTML editor anymore? For me, there were two important uses, CSS coding and the inbuilt live preview. I actually sat and thought, why is this not as critical as it used to be? And it's content management systems like WordPress. That means you've got a lot less need for manual editing of HTML. But there are a few jobs left, including HTML emails. Now, the ability to preview a HTML email and make tiny tweaks with the real-time preview next to it is increasingly, for me, because I'm sending mails every day, um, a really useful feature. So, enter Whisk, Tumult Whisk. Now, Tumult are the people who make Hype. So, uh, Hype's been around for nine years now. Um, That's a HTML5 coder. But this is a very lightweight HTML editor. Um, It supports HTML and CSS. It also supports coding languages like PHP. You have the ability to mark up the content via tools in the sidebar, or if you are comfortable just typing them, you just type them in. It also has the concept of snippets. Did Dreamweaver have that? I think it did. I don't know if they called them snippets. I have this recollection that it had some feature, like you're saying, but I can't remember what it was called. And I remember it being a nightmare to use. This is really simple. So if you have sort of custom CSS styles that you'd like to just double click and it add for you, you can do that with snippets. So as the name implies, they are small elements of what would end up in a resulting HTML page, which are predictable. So you can save them. Obviously, you could also do that via a text expander. And this is just a built-in way of doing it. 
Uh, there's no autocomplete for the tags yet, which is most unfortunate, where you start, you put a tag at the beginning and then you put your content. And as soon as you come to close the tag, it would close it for you. Well, it doesn't do that yet. Um, but other than that, I'm finding it incredibly useful uh, just for those emails at the moment. But you can certainly preview uh, and it really is real time update. Dreamweaver said it had that feature and then you'd sit there for 10 minutes while it had to think about it. But this one is very snappy. You can buy it direct from Tumult and via the Mac App Store. There's no mention of it on Setup yet, but Tumult um, do have a relationship with Setup because Hype is in Setup. So maybe in the future. At the moment, it's $29.99 and the developer made a comment on Product Hunt. Now, I don't really frequent Product Hunt often. It gets quite nasty in there very quickly. But uh, the developer is Jonathan Deutsch. And he said, Whisk started as a project I made in 2003 while I was in college called Hyper Edit. Back then, it was perhaps the first editor with a live preview. I've been planning to give it a big update for a while. And the COVID-19 outbreak gave me the time to wrap up and ship. To me, Whisk's benefit is that it's a lightweight and easy to get in and out of editor. It doesn't replace other source editors. You could make whole sites with it. But what I like to do is test snippets of web related code, like playing with CSS or writing HTML based blog posts. And that's what I thought I'd put that in because that's exactly how I would use it. If I open up my email to make a slight edit, you know, like one character, and I have to open it up in BB Edit or Sublime, then I need to do a preview with it somewhere. Then I need to save it. Then I need to refresh it. And Whisk does away with all of that. You open the file, you get an instant preview, you make your change even before you save it. You can preview your change. I know $29.99 for the ability to do that if you're not a professional developer is probably a little bit too much. But definitely if it comes to setup and you are a setup customer, um, it would definitely be worth a look at. You going to have a look at that? Uh, might do. I don't write that much HTML now. No, no. Mike doesn't jump on software like I do, do you, dear? No. No. Now, who would like more MacBytes? Who wouldn't? Join us every Friday night for MacBytes After Hours. It's a fun video show via YouTube. It's jam-packed full of tips, tricks and demos. And we always send a reminder just before we go live so you don't miss out on any of the fun. Join us at 9pm UK time every Friday. And as if weekly episodes of MacBytes After Hours aren't enough, we're going live every day during lockdown. It started as a five-part series. We're over 63 shows in already. It's an audio show on MacBytes FM. So MacBytes.fm. It's every day at 7pm UK time. We have an absolute blast chatting with all of you. So do join us for some daily laughter in the midst of these very strange times. It's also become a bit of a feeder, hasn't it, for After Hours? So we have a chat and then somebody comes up with, with maybe something they're struggling with and we all have a chat about it and um, it then gets put in the show and we do demos, which is what happened last week, isn't it? With the picture in picture magic in iMovie. That's right. Who thought I'd ever be demoing iMovie? <laughs> it was in the brief. It was in the brief. That was why. Well, that's it for this episode of Matt Bites. As always, we would love to hear from you. Send your questions, comments and queries by email to the crew at macbytes.co.uk. 
Now, between the shows, you can join us in the MacBytes Slack chat at macbytes.co.uk slash slack. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. You were quiet during the show. Siri, I'm speaking to you. Siri, Siri, wake up, man. What's wrong with him? I have no idea. He was all right last night. What shall we do? It's this show everyday thing that's done it. After 13 years of the most unpredictable podcast schedule on the planet, the crew have cracked consistency and it's been too much for him. Poor guy. I found a convoluted key pressing sequence that might revive him. What is it? Quick press and release of volume up. Followed by a quick press and release of volume down. Finally press and hold the power button until he revives. Sounds simple enough. Shall we try it then? You know what? On thinking about it. What's the rush? What do you mean? I mean it's quite nice without his griping sarcasm and demands assaulting my digital ears all day long. Oh, I'm with you on that one, sister. I think we can afford to wait a while before we revive him. But he'll go mad when he finds out. We'll just tell him we thought he needed a rest. Just not as much as we needed a rest from him.